Hello everyone, and welcome to Season 4 of the Global Careers Calls podcast from the University of London Careers Service. Listen in to stimulating career conversations between a member of our team and professionals working in a range of sectors, based across the globe. This season's focus is the future of work, so let's listen in to our Global Careers Call. Join me, Tanyal Kazim, for this Future of Work Global Careers Call, all about perspectives. Where is industry headed? Alongside Raya Sahajvani, my student co-host, I welcome Purva Agarwal, CEO and founder of Good Good Piggy, a financial literacy startup. Purva is an entrepreneur of Shark Tank India fame and brings her current views from the startup world, as well as past experience in private equity and business development to the conversation. We're also pleased to welcome back Carlos Russell, a University of London alumni, who you might remember from episode one of this series, which was about skills, reskilling and upskilling. Currently Chief Compliance Director in Cybersecurity at Steel Manufacture Turnium, Carlos brings 33 years of careers wisdom to our call, offering a multi-industry perspective from his Latin America base. We hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode is all about perspectives and where industry is headed. It would be remiss of Rhea and I to not start with the hot topic of the day, technology. Artificial intelligence in particular is stealing the headlines, pretty much unavoidable wherever you're looking at the moment, particularly disruptive to the world of work. Purva, you are a career developer and a fintech entrepreneur based out in India. Like to understand how technology is affecting your industry and the business models that you're operating across. Well, thank you for the question and thank you for having me here. Uh, I think AI is creating a big change in how startups are functioning. It's creating a huge, huge, huge change in terms of how uh, AI is coming up, how things are changing with respect to efficiency, with respect to you know decision making, streamlining processes. I can just talk about it, but uh, you. Know, from an angle where we are, where I'm seeing it as an entrepreneur, uh, I'm seeing my manpower costs really reducing. So I think in the quarter we might have reduced costs for approximately, uh, we were perhaps earlier 30 people uh, in the organization and now from 15. So almost half. I mean, you know, cost saving huge, productivity is increased. Look at it from an angle where earlier we used to have at least five folks who are looking into how social media is set up, if, if things are on record, if we are putting out a post every day. And now I think we have our entire calendar automated and kept until December 2023. And that's like six months in advance, absolute planning uh, already done and dusted with. So I think it's a huge curve uh, what automation is allowing for uh, startups to do. And I was reading, I think, a research from PwC. 72% of startups at the moment believe that AI will be offering them competitive advantage. So for example, my company, we have a library of prompts we are using and that becomes our moat where, you know, those prompts are ours and, you know, it, it, it stays when it comes to knowledge transfer. So I think it's changing. I think the biggest change is from a digital technologies perspective where, you know, let's say intangible assets like, like a movie or a clip or a post or perhaps a blog. All of these things are on the rise because it's so easy to generate. Time lag has reduced, right? So I think I see it from an 
industry perspective as the rise of intangible assets, which is, I think, one of the most critical things any young organization ends up investing first in. So I think because that's the most lean resource to develop, now you can easily develop more and more and more of it. So that's how I look at it from an angle, uh, the rise of intangible assets in economies. Really interesting. And to get that perspective of the startup landscape from where you are. Um, so thank you, Pova. So Carlos, uh, we've heard from you in our previous conversation on skills. Listeners, do check that out, episode one of the series. And we've heard about your career exposure across several industries so far. So you have worked for PDRBC and other consulting firms within professional services with a specialty in finance and tech. And you now head up a compliance cyber division in manufacturing industry. Now, manufacturing is an industry that's being disrupted by what people are calling Industry 4.0 or the fourth industrial revolution. This idea of automation, interconnected devices and the internet things which transform processes and are really blending the physical world with the digital world. What, from your industry perspective and senior C-suite level, what is the, the view, for, in your opinion, on, on where things are going? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very honored to be back here. Uh, the, uh, I think it's interesting from a steel, because I work for steel manufacturing. So there is no, nothing more tangible as an asset that you can find as a slab of steel. And, and I moved across from the service industry into manufacturing around 12 years ago. So, you know, when I, when I talk about industry, uh, I think uh, you know, from a tangibility perspective, still also has services around it. So I can talk about both things in, in one perspective. So from a pure manufacturing automation, robotics and, and the like, how do you do more stuff with less human intervention that, that has been disrupted as you rightly said, so by the application of what we call the exponential technologies where AI, big data robotics, drone technology, you know, internet of things or industrial internet of things, which they created a, a complete, I think, rehash of the data points that we used to have in order to build something out of a machine, right? So having that ability to, to explode <laughs> or, or, and exploit the, the, the amount of data that you have really puts the AI angle at the core that wasn't, that wasn't there before, before it was all about performance improvement, how many, you know, how many slabs can you create in an hour? Uh, but now it, it, it also creates better conditions for the shop floor. Uh, and let me explain that because the core themes when you're in an industrial manufacturing shop floor is that you want to protect people. Mm. more than anything, because some of, some of the processes, they can be dangerous to human life if you're not really, really careful. Mm. So that the, the ability to deploy technology that can help protect people in areas that we wouldn't have thought it was possible before. Uh, we have, for example, at, at term where I work, we have deployed AI solutions that would look at video feeds in real time and identify danger. Uh, to safety, to personnel safety and create real-time uh, alerts 
to shop supervisors, shop floor supervisors in order to avert any, any danger. So that's the ability to analyze video feeds that can check whether people are, you know, walking where they should be walking, wearing the right protective gear, uh, identify if there is a condition that might trap somebody behind a truck or, or, or things that uh, alert if there's a fire starting somewhere in real time. And that is extremely disruptive uh, from a, how do you manage a shop floor and AI and big data are part of that um, ability to revisit what you thought it was a stable environment, which is you buy a machinery, you produce what the operating line is asking and you leave it there to sweat the asset for like 20 or 30 years. That is not the case. Now you turn that around, you can improve exponentially what you're doing. AI is very disruptive in that, in that space. The other area of AI, which is really interesting from a manufacturing perspective, is that you can, mm. you can use AI algorithms to predict when a machine would be failing before it happens. So, mm. because you learn from what happened when it failed before, you understand mm. how the signals, be, you know, it, it replaces the person that, you know, used to put his hand on top of the machine, the identify was vibrating weirdly. So I said, yeah, we need to replace a part here. Uh, that, that's sort of the, um, the wizard uh, that knows everything. Well, we can have now a model that would provide a really good uh, probability of failure. And then you do preventive maintenance. And that, that saves loads of money because you don't stop the line in the middle of a, with, with a, with a failure, uh, or, or you reduce that. So those are really, you know, they're, they're simple. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they're not, they're very tangible things that increases performance from day one, the ability to predict, uh, customer satisfaction mm -hmm. is also an angle where AI is, is flowing. Let, you know, let's spark generative AI or the chat GPTs of the world for a minute, which is about generating text. Or, or, or insight or images, but, but, um, let's focus on the ability to identify customer propensity to a level of detail and level of response that wasn't there before. So that's really yeah. the point where it turns around service industries or, or intangible asset industry on their head, because, um, you have that ability to understand customer and predict customer behavior in a way that you weren't able to do so before. So the opportunities are there to get those benefits on your bottom line really quickly. Fascinating stuff. So while we're on this topic, uh, I want to bring in Rhea as a, uh, my fellow co-host and a student, because we've heard about how it's affecting industry, but as a career starter, you might be concerned or intrigued by how technology might affect jobs and skills. So one thing that like I did see was that we're talking about the challenges and we're talking about the books. Uh, what could we do to better prepare ourselves as the entering workforce, especially for all the students who are coming in now? I would love to know. I think it's a very situational thing, right? Even for young uh, students who are entering the workforce, I think it's a lot about how you develop relevance. I mean, my angle effort, I was speaking to a colleague today at work and I was telling him, I'm really happy you're lazy. 
I'll tell you why, because, you know, I gave him a task and he was just going after AI to see if it could, it could happen uh, through team and do it himself. And I said, you know what? I realized this next time if I'm taking an interview of somebody, I would like to ask him if you're lazy or not, because if you are, then you will perhaps find the best way for the machine to do your job uh, than to having to do yourself. We were all laughing about it, but, you know, under that humor is a very deep thing where um, it's not about laziness. It's about the fact that if somebody who's entering the workforce already is well-versed with these technologies, it would make a huge difference to an organization. Uh, not because you want to reduce headcounts, but from a, from an angle of cost optimization, at least I can speak for uh, the startup scenario for, for entrepreneurs. It's very important to monitor your runway and runway somewhere comes in from cost optimization point of view. So if you're a resource which can, which can leverage efficiency, productivity, using computing systems, using automation, using these new technologies, it's mm. a win-win. For you, so the first thing that we mm. have done in our organization is we invited experts who were creating these generative technologies. Uh, we did around four to five sessions. And the only thing we focused on uh, across departments was to start training people on prompt engineering. And as, you know, as somebody who's leading the organization, my thought process is how do you become sensitive about the the, the prompts you're putting in because that would also mm. mean you're training the system, you're giving out uh, data, you're putting out stuff which the system is learning. And, you know, it's about being aware whether uh, that information is private, if it has to be treated in a sensitive manner. Um, and to, to have that level of, I would say, layers um, and yeah. do's and do nots for, for somebody who's entering the workforce and working on sensitive um, information of the company so it is important to know and I often mm. say it that you know if you would in general get price for the hours you put in uh, for the company perhaps if you know these technologies you might get a, a price x plus y because you know you're just more efficient uh, mm. at your job and more capable and more productive at it uh, initially in my organization, we saw, especially, I mean, we remember the use case with the media team and the video editors uh, being really anti-AI. And then when we went into training, uh, you know, I remember it was the social media team, people who were copywriting, all of those, you know, thinking, oh my God, the organization is now adopting this technology and is open to it. Would that mean they would be soon replacing us? Um mm -hmm. And the point was very simple from us that we are not replacing you. We're just making sure that you can adopt to it. And we saw once yeah. once people started training, um, they started appreciating the help AI was giving in their jobs. And, uh, you know, they started embracing it. And now it's part and parcel of how they work. Thank you, Paula. To summarize what you were saying, uh, I want to leave the listeners with an image that I saw on my LinkedIn feed the other day. So two employees working in the same industry, both stating the phrase, AI is going to take my job. One expressed this with concern and fear, whereas the other promise and potential. So I think, yes, AI is, is going to aid creativity. Yes, it's going to require people to upskill in the interim. And then later phases of the technology may require people to have new jobs and replace jobs entirely. But will it create jobs and will it create industries? It's a certainty.
So there's a lot to do with, as you said, adaptation or the perspective you take towards these things. So I'm going to hand over to Rhea now to lead our next topic. Thank you for that, Tanya. So moving on to the topic of values, motivation, and needs of a multi-generational workforce. The Global Communications Agency, BCW, produced an Age of Values report researching the basic universal values of different generations. We have my generation, Gen Z, in the room. This is a generation that spawned between 1996 and 2010. Gen Z currently makes up a third of the world's population and will soon make up 27 of the, of the world's workforce. We're set to take over the reins of the world economy from millennials who were born between 81 and 96 and Gen X who were born between 65 and 81. So I believe that between the four of us, we do cover all four generations. And I want to know, like, how are these generations different in the work environment? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a very, very different generation, right? I mean, Gen Z, talk about them. It's they're digitally proficient, they're adaptive. And, you know, they come from an area where everything is abundant. And that's when they look, they want to look at a lifestyle. They want to focus on work-life balance. But talk about millennials, right? They, they, they have seen parents struggle. They have seen their older generation struggle, perhaps, you know. They're flexible. They're more purpose-driven. They're okay to learn. Uh, but Gen Zs will quickly switch jobs because, you know, it's easier for them to wear one hat, the other, uh, something else the next day. They have the tools as well. And talk about these, you know, older folks. Gen I mean, they they prioritize stability. They want to do things for experience. There's a whole lot about loyalty. I think it just goes up to how and what kind of world circumstances uh, each generation has seen. If you talk about, you know, uh, the oldest gen here, uh, where we're talking about Gen X, right? I mean, they saw wars. They saw scarcity. For them, it was more about, okay, uh, can I have bare minimums, which would mean we want a stable life. We want to, you know, not be very ambitious, but focus on, uh, you know, having a good experience, being loyal to an organization mm. as well. I mean, look at it from my mm. perspective. We've heard so many, the Gen X, yeah. um, generally thinking about, you know, they have won a Lifetime Achievement Award in an organization, served the organization for 25 years. Talk about HRs now. They do not have these um awards anymore in organizations where you're rewarding employees for uh, staying 10 years in the organization or 12 years in the organization i think that philosophy of hr is really going away we're in new organizations which have young blood in them and i can talk about startups for example it's about how you're motivating the workforce for saying okay you can travel and you can work okay we we have a tie-up with let's say Airbnb and you, you get, uh, you know, an off and, you know, the workforce is motivated. They're not looking to live with you forever and then get a reward, but more on lifestyle, more on, um, you know, uh, experience, more on work-life balance. It's important for them if you offer them a gym membership, uh, then have them rewarded for five years in the organization, right? So I think it's a whole new new concept of how, you know, workforces are changing, how the workplaces are changing in general in terms of how they 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 incentivize and motivate and make everybody, um, you know, single focused. So, Carlos, I would like to ask you this because you come in even from a more different perspective. 
I want to know what kind of boundaries do you think my generation is putting across? Uh, so that's Gen Z. And is it different to other generations? And if so, is there anything that the older generations can now learn from Gen Z? Uh, that's a good one because most of the older generation, it happened to me when I was starting, would disregard you as useless, right? So the, the, the first point of view is that the older generation would uh, think that the next one is not up to the job. And that happens on the, the boomers to the Gen X, to Gen Z, to the millennials. Everyone has a very strong opinion about who's coming, who's coming young and fresh. And uh, I think diversity and inclusion and equity, that those things are showing the strength of having each and every one of every kind working together. And, uh, and that has been uh, fundamental and that has changed really that, that kind of perspective. Cause you, if you focus on, I'm protecting my job cause I don't want the, 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 the young folks to, to take over my world, let alone the AI, right? I think that that's a toxic environment. What, what you want to do is be able to coach and mentor if you're a small senior uh, and learn from what, what the perspectives are coming from the younger generation. There's always room to learn. I'm convinced of that. And I, I open up space within my teams. Thank you for that. So our final topic uh, before we have our fun quickfire ending is around this idea of consumerism. So thinking about the other industries that we might interact with as a consumer rather than a worker, for example, e-commerce, retail, advertising, been touched on a little in the conversation so far, but I just want to bring up some, some research uh, that McKinsey, the strategy firm where we're doing in consumer behavior and things like personalization, sustainability, brand switching, where brand loyalty is dead these days and exper experiential purchases seem to resonate with Gen Z and millennials more so than the older generations. But at the same time, worldwide, two thirds of the world seem to value both value for money and premium. And I just want to understand from, from our guest today, do you resonate with what the industry trends are dictating? Have you noticed your own consumer behavior changing with all the developments in the world? Or perhaps observe that in your communities and those changes over time. So just some sort of final comments for the panel around this topic. I think from a Latin America consumer perspective that I can speak of, um, it's interesting because e-commerce uh, is, is the thing that makes us, um, you know, maybe more compulsive in our shopping habits, let's put it that way. But in the context of Latin America, where inflation is really high, uh, e-commerce gives you the ability to get better price, not necessarily the best value, but, but the best price available at a particular moment in time, because you know, that next week is going to be more expensive. So that's one, one aspect about consumerization that might not be on McKinsey's report, but, um, and that gives a perspective about finding the best deal and that gives that ability e-commerce gets you the best deal possible. Um, from a, from things that resonate from the McKinsey report is that you like your personal, uh, you, your recommendations based on what you're doing and that sort of thing. Uh, but, um, more importantly, I think is what do you look after, um, from a, what do you select? I think you're getting more evolved 
um, are you are you looking at the ESG posture of the commerce platform that you're working? Do you know if they're if they're complying with human with human rights? Uh, do they have child labor? So you start looking at some of the things on the ESG agenda or what are their corporations saying and doing and showing rather than just enjoying the experience. I think it's also happening in financial services about what you invest and what type of funds are you investing in. And that sort of consumerization perspectives are very embedded into the newer generations, the younger generations, which weren't necessarily on my uh, on my head when I was a young and uh, you know a young investor or a young yeah. consumer. Well, I think in Latin America, in particular, the yeah. options of buying imported goods are also very thin. So some of the global trends that you find in more regionalized or global commerce are not really here because importing uh, export you know importing is very difficult uh, from a logistics perspective and from a consumer perspective. So. Um, I think that that kind of sums up from yep. uh, from my my perspective. We have yep. more data to be more selective of what, what we do. I think that's uh, that's a given. Yeah, I think I totally agree with Carlos. Right, uh, with 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 a lot of data, the fact is that you know we're moving towards new trends uh, in general. Right, so just step out, zoom out, and see. You know, from Web 2.0, we're running to Web 3.0 perspective. I was reading on from Philip Kotler and how he's defining now marketing 6.0, uh, which, you know, for example, is to do a lot with, you know, how Web 3.0 is also moving. So if you would notice a lot of decentralization being, up, you know, available, uh, a lot of peer-to-peer -peer transactions increasing. So hyper-consumerism or, you know, uh, high-personalization, customization, geolocation-based marketing, uh, you know, those are all new things which are coming up with new technologies. Um, you know, now AI, machine learning, advanced data analytics could perhaps help you get uh, a, a customized experience, a personalized experience. If you're around the store, it would pop up and say, all right, you know, this is a live sale. It's exclusive for the next 15 minutes just because it's could geosense you, right? And it, it's reading onto your history. It's reading onto what you're trying to look, there, there is high inter, um, you know, operate, operatability between, uh, you know, different platforms, systems, there is high connectedness, you know, from a data perspective, it's more cohesive, uh, which is allowing, um, you know, consumerism to just navigate from, you know, one application to the other. So quite possible you search something on, 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 a, on you know, a, a Google and it comes up on a different, uh, system as well so you know you it's it's about how you know enhanced privacy security all of these things are changing as well so i look at it uh, from not just a consumer perspective because you know in the end humans are still operating in an infrastructure and ecosystem the reality is they're helping that ecosystem and infrastructure uh, develop and advance so as that advances human behavior within that ecosystem also starts advancing Thank you, everyone. So we are now on to the quick fire round of our show where I'm looking for one word or one sentence responses to some fun, quirky questions, some work related, some not work related. So Purva, I'm going to start with you as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. How do you enjoy or how do you like to unwind after a stressful day? Uh, guilty, 
but I will sit on social media. Although <laughs> I have tried hard to tell myself not to, but guilty, yes. Just make sure it's it's, it's better content that you can do. Mm. Fair enough. I like the honesty. So this is directed at Carlos. Which area or which field, if any, do you think are going to be untouched by tech? Untouched by tech? Um, interesting, because you, you would think that human brain, but uh, we took, we, we've been looking at singularity and the ability of AI to complement with the brain directly at some point in the, in the near future. But um, I think it would be, um, still from my perspective, it would be feelings. I think um, that that's not going to be impacted by, by tech nice. yet. <laughs> so I have one more question. One person, dead or alive, who inspires your work ethic? Yeah, I think that's a tough question, work ethic, right? Because I'm still discovering personally. But uh, <laughs> I would say I'm still very uh, impactful in my thoughts about what I want to do uh, and slightly forward uh, looking that way. So I don't uh, resonate, resonate with one person in general, but yes, Bill Gates in terms of, you know, what he does, uh, it's for profit, what he does for non-profit. I think that's very resonating, resonating to me personally, because, you know, in the end you live a life which is for profit, but, uh, you know, there's a last life of yours, yours which should be for impact. And my final question to close the show, if you could summarize your experience so far in one word, what would that word be? Carlos. My word would be the translator. Nice. I would say agile. And just for the bonus, Rhea? I think crow, just because there's mm. just so much more to learn. I think that's a perfect word to end this episode on when we think about industry and the perspectives that we're taking across the world for work, growth orientated. So guys, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us on the Global Careers Calls today. This was the Global Careers Calls podcast brought to you by the University of London Career Service. All links and resources are in the episode notes. This episode was hosted by Taniel Kazim, co-hosted by Ria Sahajwani, edited by Abby Underwood, and introduced by me, Melissa Drorian. Follow and subscribe to keep up to date with our upcoming episodes with more motivational stories from our diverse graduate cohort, and please rate and leave a review if you found it useful. To listen to previous episodes and find further resources by our team, visit www.london.ac.uk forward slash careers.